Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Why the capital? The Nethysite. I must destroy it. Are you sure? You don't want it for yourself? Use its power to restore Damasco or something like that? The best intentions invite the worst kind of trouble. Lusting for ever greater power? Blinded by the Nethysite? Is that how you see me? That does sound like someone I know. Class is in session, and today it's all about Final Fantasy XII. As always, I'm your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming to the university editor, editor for Obelisk Games and is definitely Captain Bosch uh, von Ronsenberg from Dalmasca, so don't believe any of Andor's lies, Michaela Crescioni. Welcome, Michaela. How you doing? I am good. Thank you for having me. Of course. Glad to, glad to have you on and, and talk some Evilise goodness. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, nobody ever wants to talk about FF12 with me, so this is awesome. <laughs> oh, I, I love this game, so anytime I can uh, talk about this, it's it, it's lovely. And considering this is now on Game Pass, it's even better time, so more people can play this amazing game. Beautiful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But yes, we are talking about Final Fantasy XII. This game initially released on the PlayStation 2 back on March 16th of 2006 in Japan and made its way westward to North America on October 31st, 2006. Australia and Europe got it in February of 2007 and the 22nd and 23rd respectively. Japan also got an updated version, which made me extremely jealous the International Zodiac Job System on August 9th of 2007, which added all sorts of features. But luckily, that Zodiac Job System would eventually make its way worldwide in the Zodiac Age remaster for PlayStation 4, uh, worldwide on July 11th, 2017, and uh, came out a little later in Japan on July 13th. It then would come out on Windows worldwide on February 2nd of the next year, 2018, and finally, on the Switch and Xbox One on Japan, in Japan, on April 25th, 2019, and the rest of the world on April 30th, 2019. Um, to get you listeners' minds back in the mindset of what you might have also been playing back in 2006 when this game initially released, other games that shared the release year with Final Fantasy XII include Final, or excuse me, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, Gears of War, Dead Rising, Zelda Twilight Princess, Wii Sports, Mother 3 in Japan, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, Bionicle Heroes, Disgaea 2, Elite Beat Agents, and arguably the best game of the year, Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. Um, but yes, Michaela, when was your first experience with Final Fantasy XII? Right in 2006, I got it on PS2. It was one of the last games I got on the PS2. Yeah, this was right at the end of the, the life cycle. So, were you had you been up to this point a fan of the Final Fantasy series? Like, was this a game you were like 
drooling over like rabid to get or was it like oh i've heard about this this would be really cool yeah this was one of the earlier experiences i had of knowing when a release was coming and looking forward to it because i was 12 when 12 released um it was also a kingdom hearts year so i uh, or era like the second one was coming out then too so those were the first two games where i was like the release date's coming hey mom can you buy me this game so <laughs> yeah i was a big fan um starting from probably like five years before that okay so it was five years before so it was like eight or nine your first final fantasy then my first final fantasy was actually ff1 and 2 the soul of rebirth on game boy advance Ooh, good port that's a good version i mm-hmm. I, I enjoy those as well uh for me my first real taste of final fantasy 12 was with the demo disc included with dragon quest 8 uh that was basically the main reason so many people bought dragon quest 8 at the time uh was because it came with the demo disc for final fantasy 12 but absolutely loved it um at this point i was a huge fan of the final fantasy series so i was anxiously anxiously awaiting final fantasy 12 and i was at the time working at a local eb game slash gamestop i think it was right around the time they were uh the merge had happened and i remember vividly our store manager we had gotten the games early like the weekend before and my store manager let uh, me and another guy who were really excited for this game take the game home early like we couldn't officially buy it but we took the games early with like our money left in the store so we could play it the weekend it, it came out uh nice shout out to one of the best managers i've ever had but uh, so yes i remember this game vividly i had the, i still have the collector's edition strategy guide uh with the excuse me art book included i got the belthier cover and uh the steel book case all that jazz but absolutely it's a nice steel book oh it is i feel i do feel like there were more steel books available than the normal cover yeah yeah well it, it even depends on what the normal cover i don't know what the normal cover is anymore the one that came on the western version we mm-hmm. got or the uh the gabranth one that they run now for a lot of stuff mm-hmm. um i had a, i had an old old strategy guide too that had the um the western ps2 cover on it yeah uh yeah, I think like the Zodiac Age and everything came with, I want to say, far closer to what Japan got, whose Final Fantasy covers, I think, have always been incredibly beautiful with the just solid white background and the prominent logo right in the center. I've loved that look. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so what was your like initial take with Final Fantasy XII, Michaela, when you when you got it home? Because this was a giant departure and really still is a fairly big departure from the traditional Final Fantasy 12 or Final Fantasy format. So what was what were your initial thoughts? I really liked this game and I only learned a little bit later after I played it how divisive it really was with the fandom. Um I knew it was a big departure because at that point I played 1 2 10 7 like I knew what a Final Fantasy typically looked like. Um, from the 80s, from the 90s, and from the early O's, and this combat system obviously was very different. I hadn't played the MMO at the time. I didn't know what 11 was. I hadn't played it. 
I was living on dial-up, so I was lucky if I was able to play RuneScape so long as my mom didn't need the phone. Um, but I really loved it, and I liked the gameplay. If you described the gameplay on paper to me today and I didn't know what FF12 was, I probably would be like, that sounds awful, I don't want to try that. But I loved it from the get-go, and mm -hmm. visually... The game blew me away. My little 2006, 12-year-old mind had never seen anything so gorgeous in a video game before, and it really was an end-of-life cycle game for the PS2, and I still think it looks impressive today. It holds up very well. It's, an, it's a game that's aged very well mm -hmm. and has mm -hmm. become maybe less divisive a little bit over time, maybe by comparison with how divergent later Final Fantasy titles have proven to be after 12. Or maybe people are just catching up to the MMO style of combat in a single-player game because of other franchises like maybe a Xenoblade. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked it. I shouldn't have, but I really liked the playing FF12. Um, maybe I was just young and easy to please, but I loved it from day one. Yeah, uh, yeah. for me, I, I, I echo a lot of the same statements you made. It And I definitely agree with you this was divisive from when it first released because it was so different but it has aged and a lot more people have come around to it and see it for what it is um which i'm i'm thrilled for um for me it was a lot especially the large-scale environments and how fleshed out and lived in this world the the world of ivalice felt um I love the streets of Rabinaster filled with merchants and different people going about their lives. I loved the Esther Sands or Nick Hor uh the Nurkol or whatever, the like destroyed world and or like the destroyed cities. Um absolutely fell in love with just exploring this game. Mhm. Mm and it was, I mean, the, it's still what impressed me. I replayed it recently because I hadn't, I hadn't played the Zodiac Age version until I was getting ready to come talk to you about this game. Um, and it was finally, you know, that fire to go back and play the Zodiac Age because I wanted to experience the job system. But what blew me away, what I didn't understand back when I played it on PS2 is how impressive the environments really are. It's your first single player FF game where the enemies are readily in the environment. There's no random encounters you can switch characters in your party member during active combat, and it's completely smooth. There's no lag. The game doesn't struggle or stutter or anything like that. It was technically incredibly impressive. Now, obviously, by comparison, the backgrounds look a little flat and less detailed than what we get nowadays. But for a going-on-15-year-old game, it was it was a juggernaut, and I didn't understand what we had back then. But looking at it now, it really is so impressive. The world of Evilise is is very much alive. Yeah, uh, touching on how you just recently have gone back and finally got a chance to play through the Zodiac Age. What was kind of your take? Like, which um, license board approach or format do you prefer? Do you like kind of the more smaller? A specialized license grid with the jobs of the Zodiac Age, or do you prefer the kind of wide open, almost sphere grid like license board where everybody could be whatever they wanted? I like both. I think because of the order I played them in, I like both. If I had been a person who only played the Zodiac Age version, I don't think I would like going backwards 
to the non-job specific, specific version of the license board. Um, I, I, when I first started playing the Zodiac job system, I felt actually pretty constricted because the license boards were small and specific to those classes. So I didn't have free roam, obviously, anymore to take characters in whatever direction I wanted to from the get-go. But obviously, once you get through Wraithwall's Tomb, what, about like 10 hours into the game or so, um, it opens up and you can start unlocking that second job class. And that's when everything started to feel awesome. It felt great. My mages suddenly got tankier. My knights got even stronger and foe breakers and whatever. And so I actually ended up liking the Zodiac job system, even though I was a little bit determined not to like it because of my bias towards the PS2 version that I've played. I don't even know how many times over the, the years. And mm -hmm. so I ended up liking both. But if I had been somebody who started with the Zodiac Age job system, I don't know that I would have liked going backwards as much. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I had played, uh, I pl played through it when it initially came out in the West, the normal edition. I then years down the road, probably we uh, maybe 2010, 2012 point, um, I went through and played through the international Zodiac job system version that had with the English fan patch applied to it. Um, so I got to play through that one as well, where it's, it's even far more restrictive than the later Zodiac age where you pick a class and you're stuck with it. There's no rerolling classes for characters. You only get one uh, job class per, um, which I loved. I'm a huge, huge sucker for RPGs with job systems. So Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy III, Bravely Default, Bravely Second, uh, Octopath Traveler, like all these games. If you give me a job system, I will immediately like just latch onto your game and not want to let it go. Uh, so having that kind of incorporated into Final Fantasy XII, I just fell in love with the game all over again. And then when the remaster Zodiac Age came out a couple years ago, being able to replay through it with additional new features, being able to have each character be a combination of two jobs if you want, just continue to increase the amount of customization and flexibility and replayability that this game already has that I just... Every time I play through, I find something more to love and enjoy about Final Fantasy XII. Very good take. Yeah, no, XII is special. I don't think there's another Final Fantasy that's anything quite like it. Yeah, and I will forever be dumbfounded why none of the Final Fantasies since XII have incorporated the Gambit system. The Gambit system is, in my opinion, the best idea Square has had and then done nothing with sense yeah i mean you you can almost see echoes of it. so i've written one of the first things that i really got passionate about writing when i started writing about video games was about the evolution of turn-based combat and hybrid combat systems that you see in, mostly in final fantasy but also in some other jrpgs and even western rpgs um, but not as much and you see the evolution when they start having more ATB systems in the 90s. And then you see, because ATB is obviously like the first step from like very classic turn-based because you've got a time element in there. It's not quite full real-time combat, 
but then you move to 12, which kind of takes the MMO concept and puts it into a single player game where you control your party through uh, the Gambit system, which feels amazing. Some people, when 12 came out, like if you, if the people who criticize 12 are usually people who don't like the Gambit system or think they don't like it because they didn't play it. And to them, it sounds like being very passive, like you're not doing anything, um, but you are, you're strategizing. You, it's like playing a game of chess, but you make all your moves at once before you even sit down at the table with your opponent. And mm-hmm. I love that stuff. I really, really love that strategy, forward-thinking kind of gameplay. And then you get the paradigm system in 13. 15 is a... I won't go there with 15. But then you have 7 Remake, which is a, a really cool hybrid system. And I personally think that 7 Remake is is kind of you wouldn't have the 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 tactical mode in seven remake if you didn't have the gambit system in ff12 that experimentation that we've been seeing with square enix for the past 15 plus years um is kind of yielding this new um hybrid between active have an ff7 with your standard melee attacks and then turn-based combat which you have with the all of the abilities and stuff that you can, you know, either issue to your character you're playing as or your party members with active switching between different party members. I think the Gambit system is the reason why we have seven remakes combat the way it is. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. I think everything pretty much from Advent Children onward is the Final Fantasy VII remakes combat is the culmination of everything from like Advent the ideas imposed by Final Fantasy XII and Advent Children finally coming together perfectly. You have the visually exciting uh, action-packed combat with the technical depth and strategic elements that fans want from a turn-based RPG finally coming mm-hmm. together. Um, I just wish, like, especially with thirteen, the original, the thirteen one. I wish there was that. Uh, element of customizability with your team's AI. Like, what really knocks 12's uh, combat out of the park for me is because you can, like you said, plan ahead and build these customized, in essence, AI behavioral scripts from simple key phrases. So you can be hands-off as much as you want, but you can also quickly pause combat and swap and assign commands like you would in a tradition in a, in any of the previous traditional more traditional final fantasy games and i think that blend just even still to this day feels so so good to me and i mm-hmm. love it to pieces mm-hmm. very much agreed so with you having played this game uh a bunch do you have like a go-to party like what what's your take on the characters in this world i don't have a single just go-to party i make use of all of the characters all of the time i'm constantly swapping them out as they level up i tend to level them up very evenly Mm -hmm. um and i don't like when i was reading up about the job system for the zodiac age i don't like how many people are like well fran is kind of useless because she doesn't she doesn't have the best stats for any one thing you can with this especially with this new job system and especially in the way that you can pair two jobs together every single character has a ton of potential 
to do and be whatever you want them to be. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually enjoyed having different parties on the fly constantly. And I would always have success in one way or another. Um, but I do tend to use Vaughn a lot um, just because he's really strong and very versatile. So you can use him for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, in the Zodiac Age version, I used Penelo a lot more than I think I did in the original version because she was my white mage. And I think mages, because of the way the job system works, mages became even more important than they were before because originally in 12 I didn't really think of any one character as my mage um, mm -hmm. because pretty much anyone could learn anything I needed them to um, but in the Zodiac Age version um, Ash and Pinello were my main mages although I had Balthier one of his classes was time mage but basically I would constantly use at least one tankier character so like Vaughn or Bosch most of the time or actually, um, Fran, one of her classes in my recent playthrough was Monk, so she could kind of tank for me too. Um, and then I would have at least one or two mages and basically free swap from there. I didn't really bench anybody. Yeah. For me, I I always had to have, like, Balthier as my main. Like, I tried to keep people balanced in a way uh, in terms of levels, but I did usually have a few that were like my main ones which usually involved Balthier, Ash and Bosch or Fran. Um those were my three main ones that were usually higher level than the rest. In terms of the cast itself, I'm not I I am not a fan of Van and Pinello. I think they don't really add much to the story themselves, but Balthier is perhaps one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters of all time. Oh, Sky Pirates for life. Sky Pirates for life. Yeah. Vaughn and Pinella are very much cardboard cutout type of characters. I've always said that Vaughn isn't a strong protagonist. At best, you can think of him almost as a self-insert that they tried to give extra story to. Um, more so than like a normal like self-insert JRPG protagonist who doesn't talk like your Jokers or your mm -hmm. heroes from Dragon Quest. Or your Adols or whatever. Um... But yeah, Fran, Balthier, and and Ash are probably my three favorites in terms of like the characters as themselves, their personalities, mm -hmm. their stories, their their role in the larger plot. I also like Bosch. Obviously, he's got you know um, everything with his brother that makes it very cool. But definitely, the three that stand out for me are are Balthier, Fran, and Ash. Yeah, I would love a like a buddy comedy where Belthier from 12 and Edgar from 6 just get into trouble. Like, they go on adventures, like, they have some scheme or idea, and they just get into trouble and, like, hit on hit on people. Like, that's what I want, just Belthier and Edgar getting into trouble in a buddy comedy. Like, they get an apartment in upstate New York, and it's just their lives, I think, would be hilarious. That um, would be amazing. But one of the things, like, I love... Ash is a character because she's so different from a good number of princesses in fantasy media. She doesn't take shit. She openly is like in the fray and she's a, she's a badass. I think Ash is fantastic. Oh yeah, she is. She is definitely. And she's, I like the way that the conflict works in 12 because She's a princess without a without a 
kingdom essentially mm-hmm. so um she's also a rebel um and she's fighting underground the first time you meet her um and like half of the people in this game lying about who she is um very poorly but still yeah um I don't know why so many famous people in this game try to lie about who they are. It's like, do do they not have posters of all of these really royal famous people? Um, <laughs> but because it's Ash and it's Larsa and it's Bosch. Um, but uh, she's a very strong person. She's being torn in two directions with the Nephysite at all times and the Sword of Kings and the Treaty Blade and, and all, like literally the power of gods shoved on her when she hasn't even had the chance to rule with the power of man yet um, because her kingdom has been dispossessed and invaded and overtaken. Um, She's really inserted in a very cool conflict. It's not the normal role for a princess. Um, I definitely agree with your take on that. And kind of speaking, going off of your mention of the story and these conflicts that are present here, one of the things that, I grabbed onto most with Final Fantasy 12. And I think it was probably because when this game first came out, I was about, I was 18 or I was 18 years old. So I was like older. So I wanted, it struck me that it wasn't just a, a more tr- traditional Final Fantasy story where the power of friendship and crystals will save the day. Like there was political intrigue. There was deception. There was backstabbing. There was this, conflict and political struggle and all this more adult and intricate concepts being thrown around that I really really liked and just dove head into and at this time I had played Final Fantasy Tactics so I knew a bit of the world of Evilies. I had played some of Vagrant Story so like I already knew kind of how complex this world we were playing in was Final Fantasy XII just upped it to another level, and I just ate it all up. Yeah, I think some of the political stuff kind of went over my head a little bit when I first started playing it, because I was a little bit of a younger player, but um, Ivalice is, like, the first big, connected, confirmed canon universe that I can really think of for FF. Like, there's all these, like, suppositions that, you know, 7 and 10 are in the same universe and stuff like that. But, like, we have a name for this. This is Evilies. We know which games take place in it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a rough idea of the timelines and uh, all these kingdoms that are rising and falling. Um, it's really, really interesting stuff um, that just, it's it's plot, but it's also world building that you don't necessarily get in as many of the other Final Fantasies that expands beyond the story itself, unless you have like a seven situation where there's entry after entry in this compilation of stuff that you get after you play the game. Yeah. Um, another thing that really impresses me is the wealth of side content you can do and like difficult side content too. Like I would argue that final fantasy 12 has some of the most difficult side quests in the entire franchise history, but like fighting the espers to unlock them. Like uh, I remember there were a few of them because they're just out in the wild, randomly stumbling on an area that I was way under leveled for and then all of a sudden i run into like adramelk or one of the other espers and just getting wrecked or oogie boogie down in the sewers kahulan um it was 
I, I love these fights because even today, like going back when I played Zodiac Age, I still struggle with these fights because they are tough if you don't know what you're doing or aren't prepared for it. Yeah, the side quests tend to be much harder than the main story bosses. Mm -hmm. um, and some of it is meant for you to do very late game or maybe even new game plus now that that's a thing with this most recent version of the game. Um, the one thing I will say about the side content, so I mentioned earlier that 12 has aged very well. Visually, um, the gameplay has actually aged to a point where more people are open to it now than they were 15 years ago. It was a bit of ahead of the curve in a sense. Um, the one thing that maybe hasn't aged as well, there's no quest log or anything like that. So sometimes you'll be yeah. engaging with a quest. Like you talk to an NPC and they'll give you a hint about finding a piece of an item somewhere or something like that. And that's not logged like it would be nowadays in, in like a quest log or with markers or anything like that. It's that PS2 era of games, which was like the last era of games where things were really quite so esoteric sometimes with JRPG, mm -hmm. you know, inside quest secret stuff. So some of the stuff, um, like especially newer players, you're going to need a guide to know that A, it's there and B, where to find it. Um, but the optional espers and the hunts and, in, and filling out the bestiary, it's all very um, challenging, even if you know the game really well. So that's really cool because sometimes like I go back and play a game that I've played a million times and I just clean house. I, I steamroll over everything because I know how to anticipate everything. 12 can still definitely give me a challenge and I very much appreciate that. Oh, for sure. For and also the bizarre, like how does how the bazaar works and that you need X items to, you need to like sell X amount of certain items in order to unlock different goods to be sold on the bazaar, which can contain some, some of the best weapons, some great weapons you can only get on the bazaar and equipment. So it's, that's another one of those things that if this game was made today from the ground up, you would have a better idea of, or there would be the better documentation presented to the player for what you need and, and, how to make the bizarre work mm -hmm. but, but i mean yeah. this was the ps2 was just one of those times it was this was the go-to strategy guides were much more of a thing um that you would get with like rpgs like pretty much or most big rpgs like this would always be accompanied by a strategy guide that released um which is yep. unfortunately not the case as, as anywhere near as much anymore with strategy guys turning more into coffee table books, unfortunately, but, um, mm -hmm. but no, I agree. Um, another aspect that I think has aged incredibly well is this game's fantastic soundtrack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this game has such an amazing soundtrack. Um, listening to like even the orchestral versions of the re the orchestral remixes, including Zodiac age, of uh the themes of Ravenaster or the uh Esther Sands. Uh, so such good tracks. Yeah, I definitely think 12 has an underrated soundtrack mm -hmm. because it gets overshadowed by some of the I mean Final Fantasy and I don't know if there's a bad Final Fantasy soundtrack. Um it's like as a as a franchise it stands at the pinnacle of video game music more often than it doesn't. 
Um, and so I think 12 just gets a lot of competition from other Final Fantasy games. And so it's not always the first one that people mention, but it has um, its own, it sounds very different from some other Final Fantasy musics. Like you always expect to hear some version of the prelude song or whatever. Um, 12 has much more of its own identity. I think mm-hmm. that's one of its greatest achievements musically. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I feel like none of the tracks are quite as bombastic or like in your face. They're much more kind of. They're more. They play more of a. Um, backup role, kind of an enhancement role to the overall experience or the areas you're in, as opposed to being a a focal point. The the melodies that are that kind of just accentuate whatever emotions going on or the mystery or the mystery in the area or this awe and spectacle. Um, I think it plays more of a, it's not, like I said, it's just not as bombastic. I feel as a lot of the other, uh, or other game soundtracks. Um, it's not quite so much a showpiece as it is another part of a convincing world building element. It's very environmental. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I you put it beautifully, uh, what I was butchering. Um <laughs> So what are some of the the big moments from this game that like when you think Final Fantasy twelve, what moments really stick out to you? Um, in terms of uh story moments cinematically, you mean? Anything. Like when you think Final Fantasy twelve, like what comes to mind? What do you associate? Whether it's a specific uh, music track or specific character location story beat what have you um something that has always captured my attention with 12 and anything that stands out to me i mean i i was immediately taken with the different types of characters in this game obviously there's you know the humes but there's also the banga and the viera and the viera stole my imagination as a little 12 year old girl um they're so cool. And so from the very beginning with the epic escape with Balthier and Fran after you infiltrate to the palace to steal from it during the celebration, um, to visiting Fran's village for the first time, to when Fran freaks out because the Nethesite is like overcharging the mist, um, I want to say on the Shiva. Mm-hmm. Um, I, forget, I think that's the right ship. Um, all of those big moments involving the Viera and their sensitivity to to the mist, the magic that is infused within the world of Ivelisse, those tend to always stick out for me. Yeah. Uh, I will always... Like, when I think Final Fantasy twelve, I think first exploring Rabinaster's van in the beginning, that escape scene where... Uh, things are going to hell with Belthier and Fran on the bike, swooping up Van and the um, the Nethesite shard or the Magicite shard. I I think it's the Nethesite. Um, like rendering all objects like inert and then just falling, and then the big swelling of like when one of the judges put in the deifacted Nethesite into the engine and it just like caused a giant explosion. Um, yep. that scene and the opening. I love this game's opening that plays in the background, like when you first start up the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great track for sure. Um, also, the judges have mm-hmm. to be one of my favorite character designs from the FF canon. Um, 
This okay. So Final Fantasy has always had a little bit of Star Wars in it. FF12 is where they basically really drop the veil, and it's like as Star Wars as the franchise has ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Star Wars with like metal knights. So that's kind of what I think of when I see the judges. There, it's not just Gabranth, but you know Drace and Zagarbath and all these other crazy names. Mm-hmm. Um, Bergan, they're all those designs are so cool and so memorable. Now, I'm curious, in the Zodiac Age, did you ever do the, did you ever get to the final, like, arena quest or whatever, where you had to fight all the judges at once? No, I didn't do the, are you talking about the trial mode thing? Yeah. No, I didn't get that far with that. No, I played through the story, and that alone, story and some side quests and, like, optional espers and hunts and stuff, and that, like, this is a big game, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And even just doing that, I've spent 65 hours in it. Yeah. I haven't gotten to them either. I just hear it's still one of the most difficult fights in all of the series history. So oh, I was just curious if you sure. had ever, ever done that. I am sure. Yeah. They, I also think, I don't know. I remember the judges, some of the judge fights being very hard. I don't know. I said this to my friends when I was replaying this game. I don't know if I am just a better gamer now than when I was 12 or if some things have been rebalanced a little bit um, in the combat. I know that, you know, the, like some of the main changes, obviously, from the PS2 version to these version we have now on, on all modern systems is obviously they changed the job system. They made it so that opening random chests won't lock you out of the Zodiac Spear. But I, they also changed some of the fights. Like some of the judges used to use different moves than they use now. So I do feel like some of them, at least in the main story versions of the judge fights, used to be a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. um, back when I played it on PS2. Um, they were felt a little bit easier when I played it recently. Um, and so did Dr. Sid. Also, Dr. Sid is a big... I that, remember this yeah. was like an evil Sid, an evil, crazy, batshit mm-hmm. Sid um, is, is one of my favorite things because uh, um, there's always a Sid at least in the good ones. Um, and he he definitely stuck out to me, obviously, because he's got his connections to both here, but also that was like a cool reveal type of very over-the-top cinematic boss fight when, when you get to him, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like some fights with the judges and with him did get a little bit easier in the more recent version of the game. Yeah, uh, I remember uh, Sid having his own Esper, he, him having Famfreet, and speaking mm-hmm. of the summons and well, espers in this game, this was the first game. It, it expanded on the role summons played from Final Fantasy X. It's like, okay, you can summon them and they stick around for more than a single attack. You can kind of give them commands. This one, it replaces some of your party members and they just run around with you for a while and then do a giant attack. Um, it was real. It's still pretty cool, um, but. I mentioned in a previous episode with Final Fantasy VII Remake, I'm kind of getting to the point now where I miss just the one-off giant attacks from summons. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of to the point where I don't need them to walk around or chill with me anymore. Just do, just come, do a giant attack, and be gone. Yeah. Big cutscene, big over-the-top, super flashy, let me see that five-digit damage number. <laughs> yeah. Um who knows 16 i mean the one thing that you know 15 struggled to do but obviously was trying to do and 16 is obviously aiming to do in a big way is to i think you know the past several entrance entries 
summons have a larger and larger and more integral role in the story. Mm-hmm. And here, obviously, some of them are are integrated very much into the story, especially the first couple. Um, there's, what, maybe five non-optional espers that you get just from progressing the, the main quest in 12. Yeah, something um, like that. But yeah, with 16, there's a huge focus on the icons, and 15 originally, there was a lot of plans about summons that maybe just didn't come quite full through to fruition, but you still have a lot of stuff with Ifrit and, and Shiva. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the story role of these guys is is continuing to grow, and, and 12 was one of the um, earliest places. Obviously, 10 is, is the first big feature, I feel like, for story-focused summons. Yeah. Um what was your take on them shying away from the mainstay summons to instead focus more on uh, espers and characters that we really hadn't encountered or really had much experience with outside of mentions in uh, Final Fantasy Tactics? And I guess technically they're bosses in Final Fantasy Tactics in some regard. Yeah, um... I definitely do like the traditional like summons that you get in Final Fantasy. Like I was like I've said, Ifrit and mm-hmm. Shiva and Bahamut and whatever. Um, I like that those names are still in Twelve. They're just not summons. They tend to be big battle grade airships. Um, it's it's nice for a change, but I don't know that I would necessarily take it over you know, some of the other summons in terms of the, the character, the personality, the the, the mm-hmm. design, the history. Um, but it was, I definitely like their designs. Um, I think they look really cool. I think they offer something very different and unique. Um, but I do tend to be biased towards, you know, like recognizing, oh my God, it's Mega Flare or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you see right. that big laser coming your way and you're like, oh crap, it's Mega Flare. I'm about to get hit by that. Um it's definitely flashing back to playing, trying to get the platinum last year for seven years <laughs> fighting, fighting the summons. Oh my god! Um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I I feel that I'm the same way. Like I love what I love that they came up with all new ones, but at the same time, I wish I feel like you have to keep some of the mainstays. Like if you have a whole whole roster of like brand new summons, still like. Give us a Bahamut, give us an Odin, and maybe like an Ifrit or a Shiva or a Ramu, like just some of, just a few of those mainstays to scratch the itch, that nostalgia itch. But then feel free to do like a plethora of brand new ones as well. Um, yeah, Ten kind of did a good job of that because you've got your sh- your Shivas and whatnot, but you've also got Veil Four and Ixion, and and you know. Anima's Anima is probably one of the coolest summons in Final Fantasy history. Yeah, shout out to Anima coming back in the in Endbringer or Endwalker, I think it is the new Final Fantasy Endwalker, fourteen. Yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen uh, expansion. Super stoked for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so good. This game is just so good, Michaela. <laughs> yeah, it is. We are not the only ones that love Final Fantasy XII, so we are going around the web. We start out with user Bad Kenny Fly from Reddit. They say the soundtrack, the soundtrack has to make it. Cheese and crackers. Returning to Rabin Aster has always been such an awesome feeling. 
I also remember the marks the most, especially the tougher ones. Fighting the dragons, so cool. And that stupid and that stupid snake in the quest to get some wine, dude was just chilling in the corner and I knew he was going to pop out sometime or another. Felt real anxiety with that one. And of course, the very epic cutscenes, especially when fighting espers and bosses. The characters were very endearing, and I could go on and on about this one. My favorite Final Fantasy by far. Yeah. I I agree. <laughs> Where's... I'm curious, where does... Because this is always a conflict topic i feel like when you bring up final fantasy where does final fantasy 12 kind of sit in the pantheon for you uh in terms of like my favorites yeah right usually around the three spot for me yeah. uh, my first love will probably always be 10 but 12 is probably right around number three for me yeah mine is definitely within the top five probably i could Depending on the day, somewhere in the top three. But I prefer, honestly, I love Final Fantasy X, but I think I would put 12 just a hair above 10 in terms of uh, in terms of favorites, just because I think this game has so much more replayability, especially with the Zodiac Age, than 10 does. Um, but still, so close. Absolutely love 10. Um, but this game just... Every time I play this game, I find something new to love, so... But very, very mm -hmm. good. Want to take the next one? Sure. From Alistair101 on Reddit. Honestly, the moment the Gambit system clicked after being confused and not really caring for the system for two or three hours, but once you start getting the party going and start getting more and more skills, every time I got to a new area or it was time for a boss fight, I would get so excited and spend tens of minutes planning my Gambits and being so happy when I was able to, to cheese fights, quote-unquote on x speed or turbo speed maybe yeah that's the thing like you could sink a lot of time and really build out the gambits specific for bosses and the addition of different gambit sets added in the switch version of final fantasy 12 zodiac age which later got patched into the other ones just added even more depth because you could kind of toggle on the fly and i loved how you could just turn gambits off completely and literally just swap between characters and assigning specific commands to each character if you wanted. Yeah, I definitely appreciated having the X. Like, I would have, like, my just bopping around gambits, and then I would have my boss-specific gambits, and I liked that I didn't have to rewrite them anymore, and they give you those three sets to play with. Definitely appreciated that. Also definitely appreciated the turbo um, when I went back and played Zodiac Age. Yeah. All RPGs should have a turbo mode. Going Agreed. forward... <laughs> If it's turn-based in any regard, have a turbo mode. Just do I it. I want turbo and photo mode. Must yeah. have. All yeah. the time. Also, I'm kind of cool with auto battle. Like, how Bravely Default's kind of done it. Like, let me just repeat commands. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, I, and I'd be happy. But yes, turbo mode, photo mode is, are mandatory. Everything else are just bonuses. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the user Jack Agresti from Reddit. The first time I played, I was around six or seven. I remember how big and open it felt, bigger than my mind could handle. I wonder what was beyond the buildings of Robinaster. What secret does secrets does this world carry? I spent a few hours waltzing around the city, feeling like I just wanted to explore. It sparked a deep sensation of awe. Then came the Delmasker Easter Sands and getting killed by the insanely scary T-Rex wandering around until I found out that I'm an idiot for trying 
and plucked a tomato. My childhood memories are filled with excitement and wonder for this game. All the different enemies, all the different maps, and each with its own unique soundtrack. I loved it. And lastly, I remember starting the game from the beginning just to get the Zodiac Spear. Because treasure chests. Yeah, like, <laughs> we touched on, I think we touched on this earlier, but treasure chests were handled really weird. Like, they were just randomly spawned from a pool, but there were certain treasure chests you couldn't open. And if you did, it would lock you out of one of the most, one of the strongest weapons in the entire game, the Zodiac Spear, later on. Luckily, that's not an issue anymore. Chests are still random. They do spawn. So in a sense, you can farm some chests, just not the ones that yield the really, really good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you can farm for, like, antidotes and, and potions and stuff like that. And money. Um, but yeah. This is definitely the T-Rex wandering around in the sand. I remember, like, running into that thing when I was a kid and being like, Oh, crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It reminded me very much of running into the T-Rexer from Final Fantasy VIII in the training garden, in the training area of the Balam Garden back in the day. Um, but even still in Zodiac Age, you have random weapons that will just, like, invisible weapons or invisible items that you can just pick up on the on the ground that you won't be able to see. You'll just have to know them there. Uh, like, the best bow or like the best weapon in the game the Sagittarius bow I think it's called invisible model bow model you don't need a license to wield it and everyone can wield it from the get go but to get it it's an invisible chest that has like a really really low percentile chance of spawning and you need to get a diamond armlet that you can only get in like trial room 2 so you have to have that equipped in order to even get a chance for the invisible item to spawn to get kind of crazy but when i played through one of my playthroughs of the zodiac age on ps4 it had been figured out how to manipulate the rng to a way that you would most likely get the item to spawn so in that playthrough i just loaded my entire party out with this invisible bow that does insane damage mm -hmm. and it's been glorious and like I said earlier, this is like a leftover of the PS2 era. Like, FF10 had some stuff like that in it, too. 12 has a bunch of weird, hidden secrets that nobody would, like, generally find without, like, a guide, mm -hmm. um, you know, glued in front of their nose the whole time they're playing the game. Um, it's, it's great in a way, but they don't make stuff like this anymore. Like, from the PS3 onward, from FF13 onward, it's just not the same. It's more accessible. Um, it's easier to 100% explore these games nowadays, but there, there's something special about these kinds of super weird, difficult secrets. Yeah. I, I miss this. These are some of the things I miss about, uh, miss from previous generations. Like these really obscure, random things that you have to do to get these really cool items. I kind of miss the, the zaniness of some of these old school or old I guess it's not I guess it is old school at this point RPG uh, goodness yeah it is I mean this game is 15 years old it's officially old yeah that, <laughs> make, that, that makes me feel old same <sighs> but All right, you yep do? yep go ahead x1 from dolphin must not die um on Reddit, the overall world is absolutely amazing and immersive. I think the best feelings I got were simply when exploring the world and doing the hunting quests. 
I also really enjoyed all the subquests involving the espers. Um, there were often puzzles to, uh, to solve, to find, and fight them, so it felt really rewarding when completing them. There were also some of the most intense boss fights in the game for me. I remember having a really hard time against Adremelech and his zombies, eventually winning with only two team members with low health. The amazing soundtrack was definitely a plus. The story is often mentioned as not so good, but I personally really disagree with that statement. I really love the intricate political subplot and more mature tone. The characters, besides Pinello, have some great scenes like Vaughn growing out of his hate towards the Empire, Bosch's overall redemption, Fran visiting her sisters, etc. It definitely has its flaws, but the game is aging very well and is still one of my favorite on PS2. Truth. Yep. Yeah, you so had much, mentioned of- loving uh, Fran visiting her sisters as one of the moments that really has jumped out and stuck with you with this game. Yeah, the area village is such a cool, very small area. I like I like a lot of this, the the um, environments in and around the Goldmore jungle in general, um, and the Viera are almost kind of like this game's version of like the Elven type of people. Like they're the connected to the wood. They are proficient in understanding the magic and the mist of the world and all that stuff. Um, something very um, esoteric and humanly inhuman about them um, that just kind of always captured my imagination. It's true. They were the tall ladies before Lady Dramescu from Resident <laughs> Evil came around. Yep. They were the, yep. the tall lady that everyone fawned over. Exactly. I still fawn over them. It's true. They're great. They're great. Do you play Final Fantasy fourteen at all? Do you? I don't. I am a little hesitant to get into modern day MMOs. Like I said, I played RuneScape and stuff when I was a kid. I was around early days of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't played an MMO in a very, very, very long time. But if I ever replace my personal PC laptop setup, I might. Because obviously there's so much. I've watched 14. I've watched Dad of Light. I've gone that low. Um, <laughs> but uh, I haven't played it. It's a good one. And they have Viera now, so even better. Yes, they do. Uh, next up, we have user SharkSandwich81 from Reddit. Midnight release at my local GameStop. It came out on Halloween 2006, so they had a costume contest. I dressed as the guy from Contra. Sleeveless shirt, blue headband, cargo, pa- cargo pants, and a Nerf gun painted black. I won a gift card, then drank some Code Red and played it till the wee hours of the morning. Sounds like a pretty good, pretty good day. Sounds like a stereo, like a typical, beautiful gamer memory. Just staying up late, playing a brand new game, and drinking way too much caffeine. Mm-hmm. That's a story you'll be able to tell pretty yeah. much forever. Yeah, and everyone can relate. Like, if anyone has really gotten a game they're really excited for, or they can relate to this. Staying up way too late, drinking way too much caffeine, and just diving into a new game. It's a great feeling. Still to this day, still a great feeling. Yeah, you either take time off school or work or whatever. You're like, oh, I'm going on vacation for, I'm taking a long weekend. Oh, where are you going? I'm going right home to play a video game. I'm going to Ivalice. I've never heard of that. Is that in, is that in Europe? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes yeah, is. we'll go with that. It's Ivalice is in fantasy Europe. Um, uh, we are recording this the week before uh Bravely Default 2 comes out, and this is what I'm going to be doing next Friday. I'm going to rush home from work, pick up my copy, and then stay up way too late next weekend, and it will be glorious. 
and I can't Absolutely. wait. Absolutely. I, I, yep, next week's a big week with uh, yeah. Persona Strikers and Bravely Default. No sleep at all. Nope. I was very <laughs> tempted to triple dip and buy the digital collectors or the digital deluxe version of Persona 5 Strikers just so I could play it this weekend. But mm -hmm. I refrained because I've already bought the physical edition of both the Switch and the PS4 version from Best Buy so I get their steel books because I have yep. very little stealth or very little self-control. I was like, no, I really shouldn't spend $70 just to play a game 4 days early. I was very tempted to do the early access as well, but I've got my steel book coming on Tuesday and I'm just going to try and be strong. Yep. yep. I I believe in you, Michaela. We'll we'll be each other's support group. All right, I got you. We'll be each other's support group. No, you can wait. Just be strong. Play some normal, play some Royal or just Persona 5 to scratch that itch. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. <laughs> Deep breaths. Exactly. <laughs> Take a shot every time you want to buy it. And then eventually you'll probably just pass out. All right, and not buy it. Seat. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you want to take the last one? Sure. So Aromatic, Aromatic Fire on Reddit. Um, I finished it last year, Zodiac Age, and I'm a sucker for job systems. I also really love the Gambit system. It did such a good job of getting the minor things out of the way while I focus on the big picture flow of battle. FF12 was the FF that felt the most like a dungeon crawl. I'd run through these massive environments and clear out every enemy on the map, and I'd do it again and again. The world slash setting and the environments were so much fun to be in, and it had such a distinct visual style. FF12 is my favorite game in the franchise at the moment, and I'm so, so glad I finally got to play it. Truth. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely uh, feeling that. Um, the style, like you mentioned Vagrant Story, obviously, you can see that so much in the art style of 12. Um, and Ivalice, in general, the games have kind of like their own color palette that makes them kind of like a cohesive universal whole um, that's very, very striking and memorable. Yeah, and I remember running through and getting my chains up in specific areas just to grind materials uh, and and loot to sell, so I, I remember yeah. the the dungeon grind. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but thank you to everyone who submitted your favorite memories and moments from Final Fantasy XII. I very much appreciate it and love to hear about it. As always, down in the show notes, you will find links to both of the subreddits where you can post your own memories and fondest moments from this game. I can't wait to read them. So now after you've heard Michaela and I talk about how much we love this game, you're wondering, man, I really want to play this myself. Well, we are here to help you with that as well with how to get it. Physical releases, it's still pretty easy to find, and it's not that expensive. Even the PS2 version, you can buy brand new on Amazon, the greatest hits PS2 version, and it'll only run you about $15 to $20. The PS4 and Xbox versions will net you brand new about $20. And Switch, it seems, is holding some of its value will net, and will cost you about $34 to $40. Digital, though, you're going to be paying full price, though, still, as most services, including Steam, PS4, and the eShop, are all still $50. But if you are a member of Xbox Game Pass, this just got added at time of recording, I want to say in the last week or two, so you can play for free if you have Game Pass. 
So, snag it. It's worth it. I would buy physical, especially because they're almost half the price. But regardless, play it. It's a fantastic game. And if you get a physical, it's part of your physical collection that you can display proudly to all your friends and be like, yeah, I rep Ivalice. So now let's say you have received or gotten your hypothetical copy of Final Fantasy XII and you're a bit lost and you would like some tips. Well, Michaela and I are here to help you with that as well. Michaela, what tips or advice would you give brand new players to Final Fantasy XII? So I'm assuming most new players of Twelve are going to be playing the most accessible version of the game, which is now the Zodiac Age version because it's on all of the modern consoles. So obviously you're going to be dealing with the class system. One thing I'll say after having just recently experienced it for myself is don't worry too much about am I going to mess up my classes Um, because like you mentioned earlier, they did patch in the ability with Mont Blanc um to fix your classes at a later date you can change them and get your license board points back although you really shouldn't need to because like i was mentioning earlier these characters are very versatile um, and the classes are really fun to pair together so i don't think there's really necessarily too many bad combinations just one thing i'd recommend is to have at least you know one or two tankier characters in the earlier game who can do a lot of your melee damage so knights and foe breakers um, but definitely make it a priority to start figuring out your mages, your, your white mage, black mage, red mage, whatever works for you. Um, those characters are incredibly, incredibly important in this game. Uh, go ahead with all of them. All your, okay. all your tips. Uh, number two is by the time you get to probably uh, the Lusu Mines onward, but pretty much any time, uh, Libra is your best friend in this game. So whether you have a bangle equipped to one of your active party members or you just have the Libra ability, which you can unlock with most classes pretty easily, um, always have it, always, 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 because especially the longer you go in this game, the later areas you get into, the more likely it'll be that there'll always be one area on the map where you step into it and there's immediately like five traps on the ground and it's super annoying so libra is your best friend it will also help you in fights although if your gambits are set up to target elemental vulnerabilities and stuff like that um it's not quite as necessarily there um it's just mostly for exploration um and speaking of exploration and um, it, planning out your, your tactics in the environment, figure out which enemies in each area uh, most commonly drop the best loot um, that you can sell. Uh, so, for example, skeletons will sometimes drop bones and, and different types of like gross flesh and stuff like that. And the horse-looking, like, Slepner um enemies tend to drop like iron carapaces and stuff like that figure out which common enemy in each part of the map drops a high price piece of loot and every time you fight them have a character trying to steal from them so you can try to double up on your drops you will make bank that way because loot is one of your biggest money makers and you should feel safe to sell most of your loot um, if you can get 10 of them that means they're pretty common and you're pretty good to sell them the only thing you want to hold on to that goes into the loot part of your menu instead of inventory like your regular items for some reason are your teleport stones and maybe your gishel greens for them chocobos um 
Next tip, uh, golden amulets and embroidered tippets are important items. Golden amulets help you gain license point points faster, and the embroidered tippets, I believe, are the ones that help you gain um, EXP faster. You can have golden amulets on inactive party members because you will gain license board points, even if you're not actively having that character participate in fights, although they won't gain XP that way. If you are struggling with some bosses early on, thinking maybe by the time you get to the demon walls, um, make it a priority to unlock at least two quickenings per character. Quickenings can help break the game if you're really struggling with certain boss fights. They are a massive weapon in your arsenal. And then the last big tip I really had here is something we've talked about pretty much all show, is to make it a priority to have really comprehensive support gambits. And some of these you'll have for just like every day running around while you're exploring, grinding, whatever, which is to, you know, anticipate and mitigate various status effects. So removing poison, stone, silence, blind, stop, slow, sap. There's so many negative status effects in this game and you just want to have different characters who are ready to uh, ameliorate those for you. Um, but also, you know, especially for boss fights, you want to have gambits that make it so that you don't need to constantly worry about applying and re-upping your most important buffs, which are going to be things like bubble, uh, haste, protect, shell, and if you're using a tank to absorb damage, decoy. Perfect. Perfect. Good. All good tips. And to expand on some of them, uh, with your last with Michaela's last one in terms of making the supportive gambits. If you create a gambit that says ally any, and then a status heal item, it will only use the item when the, the correct status effect is applied to them. So don't necessarily worry about having to wait for getting the specific gambit key phrase ally poisoned use X item. Just do ally any, and then the item and it will work on its own. Same thing goes for if you want to just constantly have, um, excuse me, uh, bubble or magic status effects that have cooldowns. As long as the uh, a character in your party doesn't have that effect applied to them, uh, the computer will automatically cast it. They won't just keep casting it. So use that as a tip. Um, if you are looking to become incredibly strong early on in the game i highly recommend you look up the dustia method this is a character this is a rare spawn monster that happens fairly early on in the game that can be instantly killed with a phoenix down and render all of your character or render your characters with a good size amount of experience now how experience works in this game when you get or how levels work in this game when you get new party members they will be based off of their level the new characters coming in will be based off of the average level of the characters so far so with this this dusty method taking advantage of it early on when you have just van and Pinello in your party you can instantly skyrocket all your future party members levels in the game so they all come in super strong so just search dusty method and this is this tips more in line for players who have played through these games uh, previously and are looking for kind of a fun way to to mix things up uh, for the Zodiac Age, I recommend that you get you assign your characters jobs with a roll of a 12-sided dice. Just roll a dice, and whatever number it lands on, you pick that job. It's kind of a fun way to mix up and not quite know what you're going to get into. And just uh, randomize 
the your experience a bit. It's a fun, kind of unique way of playing the game and might add some excitement to your otherwise uh, normal or memorized route of Final Fantasy XII. We are on now to one of my favorite parts of each episode, the monster and enemy of the week. Michaela, what enemy have you brought to the arena this week? Elder Worm. Very nice. Tell us about the Elder Worm. So the Elder Worm is technically an optional boss in FF12, but most people are going to fight him um, because you have to in order to progress along the most logical route at that point in the story, unless you want to go way out of your way and start running into like level 40 enemies while you're like a level 25 party-ish thereabouts. Um, so he is in the Golmore jungle, which we mentioned earlier. It's kind of, you know, where you're going to find the homeland of the Viera. Um, and he is, I think the, the bestiary lore or whatever behind him, the description says that he's the oldest dragon, and hence the name Elder Worm, uh, in the area. Um, and he is a protector of the Golmore jungle. I think he might have, he might technically be like undead or reanimated or something because he died and you see him when you run into him, he kind of like comes back to life out of the environment. Um, and something about this boss has always just stuck with me because visually he has a very striking design. He doesn't really look like any other type of dragon enemy I think I've ever encountered in Final Fantasy or otherwise. Um, usually dragons, um, they are, if they're not just like a standard enemy, they are, tend to be very elemental. This one plays right into the core gambit system very well. It's the first big test of your gambits because he, instead of being like a fire dragon or a lightning dragon or whatever, he is a status effect dragon, which goes, which plays into his connection to the environment, the jungle, you know, poisons and fungus mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so he's the first really good test of how well prepared you are with your gambits. And so fighting him, if you're ready and if you if you have your, your system locked in, can be very, very satisfying. Agreed. And like Michaela said, you will encounter the Elder Worm in Golmore Jungle in the Dell of the Dreamer. But you can also fight him. You will also fight it in the 15th stage of the trial mode. It's... Beastry entry reads, Guardian beasts of the forest and most ancient of the dragons and evilies. Though they perished several thousand years ago, the living things of the wood grew in them, giving them nourishment and counteracting the corruption of their flesh until they stood once more. So they share body and soul with the wood and suffer no intruders within its boundaries. When you fight it in Golmore jungle, it's level is 23 and it has 71,692 health with 999 MP. Its strength is 33, magic power at 22, vitality 74. It's slower with a speed of 9 and its attack power is 40 with a defense of 16. It has a magic resist stat of 14. When you vanquish this mighty foe, it will give you 14 uh, LP, 4200 CP, and no, and no gill. Its elemental affinities are 100% fire, ice, lightning, water, earth, dark, and holy. And it takes additional uh, wind damage with an uh, 
excuse me, with an elemental affinity of 200%. So I actually think that means it takes less damage with against wind. Um, but it is immune to a bunch of status effects. It's immune to petrify, stop, doom, blind, poison, oil, disease, disable, immobilize, sap, lure, berserk, and libra. Whew! So yes. This is quite the, uh, quite the boss. You can steal, uh, the thief's cuffs, thief's cuffs from it as well. Um, but it doesn't drop any items and you can't poach anything from it. So as you trek through the Golmore jungle, be careful for the elder dragon is within its depths. Well, Michaela, that is going to do it for this episode of RPG University. Thank you so much for joining me and talking some evilly today. This was a lot of fun. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, always love to talk about this game and uh, just seemed appropriate with it now being on Game Pass. But where can people find you online? What do you have cooking? Go ahead and plug yourself. Sure. I am generally Red X Mod on Twitter and beyond. I am the editor for Obelisk Games, obelisk.co. Um, I recently put up my East 9 review and I reviewed the Project Triangle strategy demo. I tend to write a lot about JRPGs 90% uh, uh, of the time, but I do just talk some gaming stuff in general. I am also one of the co-hosts for the Story Route Zero podcast that we put out weekly. It's just a bunch of friends talking about the latest in gaming news. We also do monthly game clubs and stuff like that. So that is where you can mostly find me. Perfect. Well, be sure to give all those a look and listen, as uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by the great content you guys all put out. So, uh, But thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to talk about, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU and with what you would like us to talk about or feature. And, of course, you can reach out to me directly and share with me your favorite RPG memories at SolidSnake120 on Twitter. And until next time, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed.